Holy and gracious God, we come seeking you today, that we might hear a word from you and that you might speak to us. And so having heard your scriptures proclaimed, we pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. So today is day two, or Sunday two, of our series, Seeking, of finding God and trying to explore the mystery that is God. And what we have in our scripture reading this morning, well, we have two scripture readings, is a biblical character that is surely doing just that, trying to seek out answers to the many questions that they have. There's lots of ways to interpret Nicodemus and the role that he has within ancient Jerusalem um, as a Pharisee and a leader of the Pharisees, and the reason why he chose to come when he did. I like to specifically think of it as one of empathy as I look at him. Like, why did Nicodemus choose to come to Jesus, and why did he choose to come with the questions, and why did he choose to come to Jesus at night? At night. I think it's an important part of it. And I think part of it is this kind of looming question, which is the sermon title for today. What does it mean to be born anew? How do we be born again? At the center of Jesus and Nicodemus's exchange with each other. But being born again, I know for many of us, is kind of a far-off thought. You know, what does it mean to be born again? Perhaps you've spent some time with your Baptist friends and talking about being born again in the Holy Spirit or being baptized as an adult. Or, you know, if you have spent some time with some Pentecostal friends, you might be born again and you might have an experience of God and speaking in tongues of fire and all of the, the excitement that goes around it. But we aren't Baptist and we aren't Methodist, all right? Some of you might be, but we're, or sorry, not Baptist or Pentecostal. We're Methodist. There we go. And as Methodists, we like to, you know, slow it down a little bit. And being born anew isn't necessarily a phrase that we use all too often. But I think for many of us, it's a question that we have nonetheless. And it's not necessarily a question of faith and, you know, being born of the Spirit, as much as it's a real-life, tangible like question that we ask ourselves in the moments like the choir just sang, uh, sang of, where we must walk the valley ourselves. When we find ourselves in the midst of a challenging task or with only but darkness in front of us, we question what does it mean to be made new? And is it even possible? One of my favorite movies growing up um, it was a movie that was, came out when I was in, you know, I think elementary school, to date myself a little bit, but it was a movie called Shawshank Redemption. Anybody ever seen that movie? Yeah, I know. I, I thought of this one because I thought may, some of us might know this one uh, together. Shawshank Redemption, there's a little bit of spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I do recommend that you see the movie. It's very, very good. But it's about a movie of a man, his name is Andy, and he is sentenced to a double life sentence in prison for murdering his wife, which he did not do. And he goes there, and that is, friends, a bleak moment for anyone, right? To be locked up and incarcerated for a crime that they did not commit. And there was little hope for him other than the hope that he spent his entire energy around, which was getting out of the jail, 
right? And you can see the front of the book of the cover, you know, the rain, the moment when Andy's able to, spoiler alert, he breaks out of prison (laughs) and he finds himself in this moment of rain and he's just so excited that even though he was sentenced to a double life term, that he freed himself from that place. Although the interesting thing, though, is that, you know, if you've watched the movie, the freedom that Andy gets from actually getting out of the prison isn't necessarily his freedom that he gets. Rather, the freedom that he finds is in this friendship with another inmate named Red. Red, too, was there serving a life sentence for murder, but Red, unlike many of the other people that had, they had surrounded with in the prison, had changed his life and devoted himself to be a better person and changed accordingly. And he found himself at a, going before the parole officers in hopes that he might be free as well. But of course, they denied him. And although he could have let that be an opportunity to change him and phase him, he continued his path of bettering himself. And the friendship that Andy and Red have frees both of them, in a way, to a life that neither of them thought possible. Of course, in the end, it's a happy ending that Red eventually makes his way out and finds his way to Andy, who was freed and living on a boat on the beach. And they walk up in the end, and they find themselves together again. Well, we imagine they would, at least. The freedom that they found was in this friendship that they formed in a place that was darker than they had imagined, a place where they questioned, what would it be like to be new? What would it be like to be new? And of course, we all have our expectations, right, of what it means to be made new. Perhaps you uh, find yourself at about to make a promotion, and as you make a promotion, it's going to come with a move off island to a new place place of mystery, and who's going to be your boss? might be a a different thing that you might find yourself as someone with a recent diagnosis or a loved one with a diagnosis, wondering what will it be like to be made new? Or might be someone with the loss of a relationship, wondering what would it be like to be made new? And for some of us, we have the goal. We have like the Andy, we're going to escape from prison and we're going to make it and we're going to find our freedom. But for other of us, others of us, the valley's too dark that we can't even see a potential light. And Nicodemus finds himself, I think, in this place. He's a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees. He's got this prominent seat in the house of Jerusalem. He wants, you know, has this position of authority and leadership. But he's hearing these rumors and hearing these signs about this guy named Jesus. And I think that as he hears these questions or hears about this guy and what he's teaching and what he's doing, he begins to wonder for a little bit. But the problem is, is that not just anyone can stroll up to Jesus and start being a pupil of him without social ramifications. Here's the leader of the Jews to go up to Jesus, who's the leader of this random sect that is causing some difference of opinions according to the way that we ought to live the law. And with those difference of opinions, he begins to 
think, well, what if they see me asking Jesus? What if I'm actually seen as a student of this guy? I would lose my place of position, my authority. I would lose this life that I know, but I want to know more. I want to seek. And so he, he comes to Jesus at night when no one's going to see him, when no one's going to know who he is or where he's coming from. He's going to come to Jesus and he's going to ask him these questions that have been just tugging on his heart, wanting to know more, but also not wanting to lose the life that he has. And then Jesus says to him, exactly the fear that he has. Only those willing to be born anew and again can enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is wondering what he's talking about and begins to banter back and forth. And Jesus continues that phrase, only those willing to take on life anew can experience the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is now caught. Does he walk through the valley of the unknown or does he stay where things were predictable, consistent? Jesus invites each of us in those moments of challenge, moments of valley, to see beyond what we're capable of. To experience a hope that we might not have been expecting. And there's no wonder why I think we, this scripture is paired with the story of Abram and Sarai. A story of two people that otherwise are going about their business, doing their thing. Abram seems to have a decent amount of, you know, resources and cattle and stock and people at his service. And then all of a sudden, the booming voice comes from above. Abram, go. <laughs> go from what you know to a place that you don't know. And on top of that, you're going to be a nation that's going to bless all the world. Fast forward a little bit to what we know about Abram and to the end of the scripture reading we had. Abram's not a spring chicken anymore, right? I mean, he is 75. His future is kind of set. You know, he's in his retirement home. He's living off of social security. I mean, he's ready to go. And similarly, his wife, well, she's barren. She has been her whole life. They're not having kids anytime soon. Everyone knows that in the community. So to be a blessing to the world was the question of what exactly does this God mean? But God says, go, nonetheless. Go to a place of unknown, but the unknown includes a promise that you'll be a blessing to all the world. And Nicodemus, the unknown includes a promise. You'll get to experience the kingdom of God. But friends, it is easier to stay where it's known and predictable. It's also easier to be kind of let the darkness creep in and stay in that place of fear and doubt. It is much harder to put one foot in front of the other. It's much harder to take a risk in believing in a future of hope. That something 
might be born anew in you. And friends, I get it. I'm a, I'm a skeptic by nature. One of the things I ask myself is, you know, I read something, someone tells me, I say, well, maybe, you know, we'll see about that. And so if you find yourself as someone who says, well, maybe, but you don't know what stands before me, I get it. I feel it. There's a future, I promise, but it might mean you have to give up that place of prominence, Jesus says to Nicodemus. There's a future of promise, but you got to risk going from the land of your forefathers and foremothers, the land where you have established yourself and it's secure and it's safe. It's a future if you put one foot in front of the other. But not just that, if you find yourself in that place where you've kind of been thrusted into the dark valley without knowing it, without wanting it, there's a future for you if you put one foot in front of the other. Jesus is calling us not to a specific place of promise. Jesus is calling us to believe that we can be made new. That's it. And if we have the belief that we can be made new and we start putting one foot in front of the other, the rest works itself out. For Andy and Red, it wasn't the freedom that they were hoping for. It was the friendship that was forged unexpectedly. Perhaps it's a friendship for you. Perhaps it's a life twist, and we all know life comes with them, of unexpected being in Hawaii. <laughs> or the new friends on a new journey. The question we have is, are we willing to seek? Are we, are we willing to say, yes, maybe, God has something new for me. And if we answer the question yes, and are willing to take one step in front of the other, perhaps we might realize what it might look like to be born again and experience the kingdom of God in our midst.